The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Good morning, Wellsprings. It is good to be with you again. This morning, for my message, I want to share a story with you. It's from the writer Anne Lamott. Some of you might know her from our Wellsprings 2.0, listening to our lives group from a chapter in a book entitled Into Thin Mud, and some of you may have just read her on your own. Now, the thing about Anne Lamott, if you're at all familiar with her, is that she has a deep writerly uh, capacity for profound irreverence and for profound reverence. And it's about some of that irreverence that I want to give you a little heads up today, because the irreverence directly plays into the reverence. So in the story I'm going to share with you, she talks pretty honestly about bodily functions. It's not all of the story, but it's a part of it, and it's integral to the story. Now, I've cleaned up some of her language about those bodily functions, but I do want to give you a heads up that that's coming. And the second thing is this. She, like me, is a person in long-term recovery. And a decent part of this story is about what can happen in recovery. And in it, she uses some language that those of us in recovery sometimes um, use to refer to other people we know in recovery. And in that context, used between us, these words take on a quality of connection and, and belonging and actually become terms of endearment. But when these are words used about us by people not in recovery, these words take on a quality of exclusion and looking down on us and actually contribute to stigma. So the context in which these words are used is incredibly important. So the story that she tells is about Advent, which she says for Jesus-y people like herself is an incredibly important time of year. It's the time of year of opening the heart, of preparing for Christmas, and really what Christmas signifies, what it means. The, in the ancient Hebrew, the Emmanuel, the, the sense of the divine really dwelling amongst us and within us and for and with all of us. What is stressed, what's important in the time of Advent is a kind of patient waiting and openness for that presence to gain root within all of us so that a realm, a way of being, of, of, of peace and, and justice and compassion, regardless of what we believe, belongs to and with and for all of us. She says she deeply wants that that way of, of peace and justice and compassion for all of us. And she's even open to the waiting and, and the patience of this time of year, especially for those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere for this time of the year in which the sunlight is diminishing. Sometimes that can be a real challenge, especially when it's cold as well. And she says it's not that she lacks faith, it's that she has some real mental health challenges. And so at this particular Advent some years ago when she was writing the story about, she says that it's almost like she developed a kind of childlike chant that was going on inside of her mind all the time at this particular Advent that went something like this. 
worry 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 she was not doing so well and though she wanted that patience and that peace she was having a tough time locating it and so she thought about reaching out to her own pastor but this was early on in advent and is a busy season for folks who are clergy, and so her pastor was away on some self-care R&R to prepare for the time of preparing for Christmas, and Anne Lamott wrote, tongue firmly in cheek, she said, if we knew that we were going to hire a pastor who was so committed to their own boundaries and self-care, we would have thought twice about it. (laughs) She's kidding. Uh, And so her own pastor not being around, she decided she wanted to reach out to some of what she called God's other spokespeople. She called the ministers she knew and she said, talk to me about, talk to me about God. And the other minister said, who's that? And she thought, okay, that's not very promising, moving on. And so she reached out to a Jewish friend of hers and she picked up the phone and she could hear immediately in the background uh, this person's children keening and crying and all kinds of tumult in the background. And Anne Lamont still went on with it. She said, tell me about the preparation for the time of Hanukkah, the miracle, the festival of lights. And the friend immediately says, are you joking? <laughs> Hearing the sound of the chaos in the background. And Anne Lamont says, well, yeah, I know you're, I know you're reform. Uh, and the friend shoots back, um, we're so reformed we have a crucifix on the door of our house. <laughs> so again, uh, not so much what Anne Lamott maybe was searching for in the way of peace and patience. And the friend says, call me back tomorrow as the kids are creating even more chaos in the background. Um, call me back tomorrow, she says, and I will talk to you about Hanukkah and the kicking out of the old uh, invaders uh, the old Assyrian kingdom invaders thousands of years ago from the Holy Land. And by the Holy Land, no, I don't mean Miami Beach. So Anne Lamont moves on to her next friend, another minister, and says, talk to me of God. Talk to me of, of people who are doing all right. And the friend just kind of sighs and says, oh, Bubby, you've, you've, got, a, you've got a big one there. And the friend says, this is what I know. Take care of God's children, and God will take care of you. And Anne Lamont says, is that written somewhere? And the friend says, it's right there under what's called the special instructions for living. And Anne Lamont, still not quite getting what she was searching for, calls her friend Tom. Tom, who she describes as a hopeless alcoholic of the worst sort with 35 years sobriety. Tom, who is a Jesuit. Tom, who she trusts, because Tom is still very open, even after 35 years of sobriety, that he can suffer with struggles over the images, or at least the images that he believes about his body. And he can fall into despair at times. And so Anne Lamont trusts him because he is honest and real. And Anne Lamont asks of her Jesuit friend Tom, tell me of people getting well. Tell me a story of people getting well. And Tom pauses for a moment. 
and he thinks, and he says, this is my story of people getting well. This is my story of Advent. It was many years ago. It was 1976. And I was very newly sober and terrified of everything. He said, at that point, I was living in California. I was living in what they called the time the People's Republic of Berkeley. And I kind of liked the meetings, the recovery meetings I was going to at the time, because unlike in L.A., where I was a little bit familiar with as well, too, and I think Anne Lamott was familiar with L.A. at that time, that the people in Berkeley, uh, they didn't kind of whoop it up. There wasn't too much clapping at the meetings. It was kind of more sedate. And he found people like himself, kind of folks who had been in school a real long time. And he said the problem was, is that in addition to being in early recovery and scared of his own shadow, he was transferred within his order, within the Jesuit order, to Los Angeles. And all he really knew about Los Angeles were where the bars were in various parts of town. And so he was terrified even to leave his apartment for fear that he would see himself going to one of those bars. Again, remember, he is in very early recovery. And so he called up his cardinal, one of the higher ups in his order. And the cardinal said, I want you to search out Terry. Terry, it turns out, has five years of sobriety, which Tom says makes Terry God to me. <laughs> he couldn't even imagine that five years of sobriety at the time. And so during this time, at Advent, in 1976, he makes contact with Terry, and Terry asks him, I want you to come and, and meet me at a, at a men's meeting in downtown L.A. at the Episcopal Cathedral, which was located real close to what was called Skid Row. And Tom gets there, and he meets Terry, and he sees all the people hanging out in the courtyard of the church, people who look like real hardcore alkies and addicts, people who look like they might be numbering their days of sobriety in hours, people who look like they're on the edges of society, people who look like they're barely hanging on. And the truth is, although Tom is fairly well scrubbed, he thinks he feels like he's barely hanging on. And although he has been told to seek out Terry with the five years of sobriety, Terry, as it turns out, is a complete introvert who has almost no social skills and is really, really awkward interpersonally. <laughs> and so he's trying to make small talk with Terry, but it's not really working. And at one point, Terry simply asks him, so how are you doing? And he says, I am scared. And Terry says, yeah, gently. That's about right. And so there they are hanging out in the courtyard, the Episcopal Cathedral, with all these kind of folks who look really down on their luck pretty much. And a door opens. And Terry finds himself going up the stairs very, very long, narrow set of stairs. I think I said Terry, I mean Tom. Terry is in back of Tom. 
and he's feeling his legs absolutely shaking. This set of stairs that feels almost limitless. And in front of him, there's a guy, also youngish, about Tom's age, who looks even shakier than Tom feels. And at one point, the guy in front of him, who looks like he is perhaps measuring his, his sobriety in minutes, loses control of his bodily functions. And Tom says inside, I look like Edward munches the scream. I just want to get out of there. I am nauseated. And I feel Terry's gentle encouragement easing me up the stairs because the guy in front of me doesn't seem to know that he has defecated on himself. And they get up to the very top of the stairs before they enter this airless, windowless room. And the guy whose job it is is kind of, kind of greet people as they come into the meeting, kind of like a volunteer position. He's got a big shaved head and a big barrel chest and one of those big bushy Volga or Viking uh, mustaches. And he gets one whiff of this guy who's gone to the bathroom on himself and he vomits all over the place. And so now this windowless, airless room is filled with the smell of human poop and vomit. And everyone starts madly smoking cigarettes to try and get the stench off of them. And the guy who's gone to the bathroom on himself just kind of stumbles in and falls into a chair and everyone kind of starts to freak out but not Terry. Tom just wants to run. This is too much to deal with. Terry goes over to the guy who's vomited, the guy with the big Volga mustache, and he says, seems like you got a bit of surprise there, my friend. And Terry and the guy with the big mustache and the shaved head just start laughing. And Terry walks over to the man so down on his luck. And he sits down next to him. And he says, it looks like you've run into some trouble here, my friend. And the man doesn't say anything and just nods. And he says, we're going to help you out. Now, first, what they do is, because this isn't the first time something like this has, has happened like this in this particular meeting, is Terry sends a bunch of guys off to get some towels and some kitty liver to start soaking up the effluvia. Not the first time this has happened there. And he gets some men who are very early in recovery themselves. Some men from a nearby halfway house right next door to the Episcopal Cathedral. And they steady the man who's gone to the bathroom on himself. And they guide him down that set of stairs and they bring him over to the halfway house. And they feed him. And they give him coffee. And they clean his clothes. And they care for him. And they give him respect. Now these men who kind of themselves are barely hanging on. The kinds of addicts and alcoholics that are so often looked down on by society. They care for this man because he is one of them. He is one of their own. And back at the meeting, Tom says and feels for the first time something he has not felt in months. 
which is a little tiny shred of hope. He sees the way that Terry has kind of calmly, gently, kindly turned everyone to action for care. And he said, you know what? When I was back in Berkeley. I thought everyone looked like, this is 1976 now, David Niven, very debonair British actor. And I thought I would get sober with people just like myself. Housebroken, overeducated, and fun. But the truth he saw at that meeting was that was not to be. And more than anything, he thought he would be, Tom would be, restored to health overnight. And that was not to be either. It would be a patient process. A process that took some time and some care and some waiting. And in the midst of his fear, in that windowless, airless, smelly room, he found hope for the first time in a long time. And now addressing himself to Anne Lamott in the present tense, he says, that is Advent to me. That God will set up a tent before us in which we are all invited, in which we learn to get well together. That is Advent to me. Not quickly, not overnight. That is my Advent story. And he signs off by saying, For you, Miss Crabby, and for me, for us together, in time. That is Anne Lamont's story of Advent. It makes me think of my life about 15 years ago when I walked up a different set of stairs here in Pennsylvania. Not nearly as smelly, but I was just as terrified. I walked up that long set of stairs into a windowless, airless room because I had to face my own alcoholism. And I remember in the first couple meetings, someone saying, we take everyone from Yale to jail here. And I remember saying, I got one of those. And the guy in back of me, I didn't even know then, said, I've got the other. I guess maybe looking at my clothes, he was guessing which one, which you can't always do. In this case, he was right. And we kind of laughed together. And I remember feeling that little shred, little glimmer of hope that maybe I would know what it would mean to get well and that it would take some patience and some time. And it did. And it has worked. And it continues to. But I also think more broadly about us as well too, not just those of us in recovery, about this moment of being alive, of the last four years which has felt for those of us who set our hearts upon peace and, and justice and compassion, has felt that those things have been under assault. And at this moment, 
at this turning of the year that perhaps things, these problems that are much bigger than just the last four years, that perhaps peace and justice and goodness and compassion, that these things may have a more than better fighting chance again. And I think of the last now almost 10 months of this pandemic and seeing the images of the vaccines roll out, hearing about people I know who know other people who are starting medical providers to get the shot, the inoculation. And maybe for the first time in a long time, we were feeling some hope. And yes, we know as well that it won't be overnight that the pandemic ends. And in fact, right now, with the numbers skyrocketing, there is more death and more illness in our midst and there will be for some time. This is why I love Anne Lamont's Advent story. Because on this morning, one day shy of the solstice, of the day with the least sunlight of the year, the time of the year when many of us feel ourselves wanting so deeply more sunlight and more light in our lives. I find it so heartening to receive this remember, this reminder, to remember to look for both light and love in small and meaningful, life-saving, patient ways. It reminds me of one of my favorite readings for Advent, the solstice time of the year. It's from the great psychiatrist Carl Jung, who says we become enlightened not by imagining figures of light. We become enlightened by making the darkness conscious. And so in these days, the challenge and the promise, even if that promise seems small, may we allow our eyes and our hearts time to adjust so that hope and goodness and peace, compassion and justice, that these things can take root and grow in our lives, even in the very midst of winter. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I invite you to join your heart with mine in prayer right now. Emmanuel, the divine with us, within us, the divine, the spirit that might feel distant in many ways these days, in the midst of all this struggle and all of this suffering. May we allow ourselves to have a sober hope, the hope that even in the midst of winter allows us to plant some seeds. Seeds that are not miracle grow. Seeds that take time to become 
what they are intended to be. May that hope, that seeding hope, take root within us this day so that we can, in time, all grow into the people in this world that we hope to be. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.